It's great to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is Wade. I am the pastor for college students here at Parkview, and it's a real delight to open God's Word with you. Uh, if you could open your Bibles to Colossians 3, Colossians 3, 1 to 4. Colossians is a letter written by a man named Paul who encountered the resurrected Jesus in real time in history, and uh, he planted a bunch of churches, or all these Jesus communities, and then he would write letters to them. One of these letters is, is the letter of Colossians. So it's past Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you kind of keep flipping, you'll find it. We're in a new series called uh, New Life, how the gospel of Jesus transforms us. And one of the, the realities of Christianity is kind of there's, like a, there's a two-part, kind of two-arms, so to speak, Christianity. One is uh, Christians believe uh, that Jesus' death and resurrection is historical, objective fact. And it invites you to explore it. And that's one of the things that Doug mentioned in his sermon last week during Easter, is that, you know, the, the, the resurrection of Jesus invites you to kind of come and explore and investigate, okay? So historical objective fact. And the other arm is subjective everyday experience, okay? That we live lives here in Iowa in 21st century, and Jesus' death and resurrection happened about 1,985 years ago. So I don't know if you asked this question. I asked this question. So what difference does it make that something happened a long time ago, and then here's my everyday, ordinary life in Iowa City? How do those two things connect? Well, Colossians 3, 1 to 4 is the answer. It shows you how those two things connect. The objective historical fact that Christianity is true truth, uh, but also subjective, everyday living life, going to high V, studying for exams, relationships with your families, etc. Now, here's the deal. If you're going to understand uh, the, the difference that the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus makes in your life, you have to understand two words. If you're going to kind of bridge that gap between that historical events and then everyday experience, you have to understand two words. So actually, if you forget everything I say, but you remember these two words, I'm a happy camper. You ready? With Christ. With Christ. In fact, if you, actually, if you look down at Colossians 3, verse, starting in verse 1, uh, it says that we have been, what? Raised with Christ. And then in verse 3, it says that our lives are hidden with Christ. And then verse 4, it says that there one day when Jesus returns and appears, what will happen? We will appear with him, with Christ. So in other words, the historical objective facts of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, they cannot be good news until you comprehend and embrace the reality of what theologians for centuries have called union with Christ. Union with Christ. That's a theology word, but that's okay, because I have a way to illustrate it. Here's what union with Christ means. I have an iPhone. Okay, we probably all have iPhones, or if you are the Samsung Galaxy 3G XMS guy, or that's cool. If I have an iPhone, okay, iPhones are cool. We like iPhones. The problem with this iPhone is it's dead right now, okay? It's not on. It doesn't function properly. So I have a dead iPhone, and it just so happens that over here there is a wall with lots of power, okay? So I have a dead iPhone. Here's this wall with lots of power, okay? Historical, objective fact, here's my everyday subjective experience. Problem is, this doesn't do anything, does it? No, it doesn't. Unless I have something 
to connect the iPhone to the power source. You see, none of this matters for everyday life unless the phone is united to the power source. And what happens when you plug into, when you connect to, when you're united to the power source? Well, all of the power here in this wall, and those of you who are like engineers and stuff are like, he's an idiot, he has no clue what he's talking about. True. But uh, disregard that. Uh, all the goodies that are happening here are going to be surging into the iPhone. So now it's turned on, and there you go. Here are my apps. Okay. Now, here's what I'm trying to explain here, is that everything that Jesus has done in history remains totally inconsequential for your life because you are apart from him. And scripture is clear that apart from Christ, we are dead in our sins, meaning we are stuck and we really can't, can't change our, our lives unless we have union with Christ, okay? With Christ. Those two words, they change they change everything. And so, and so here's the, the big aim of, of our time this morning. Okay? If you want to write down a sentence of what I'm trying to get at, it's this, okay? Our big aim is this. Our new life with Christ transforms us in three key ways, okay? So union with Christ transforms our everyday lives in three key ways. You ready? Number one, it gives us a stable identity. Number two, it uh, alters a mindset. So it gives us a stable identity, an altered mindset, and the third, a glorious future. Okay, those, that's the outline for where we're going. So union with Christ changes us, just is the most amazing, glorious reality in the way that it transforms us. Gives us a stable identity, an altered mindset, and a glorious future. Now this is when we will get to the reading of God's Word. So actually, uh, can you please stand for the reading of God's Word uh, in honor of the Lord? And I will read out loud, and, and you will listen to the word of God as I read it. Hear now the word of the Lord in Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things here on the earth. For you have died, and your life, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. You may be seated. This is the word of God. Glory alone belongs to him. Pray with me. Father, we come now to you needing to encounter your son Jesus through the word. So by your Holy Spirit, we need a lot a lot of the help of the Holy Spirit. Would you please take your truth, would you plant it deep in us, and as the hymn says, would you shape and fashion us in your likeness? Would you fulfill in us all of your purposes this morning for your glory? Speak, O Lord, till this church here at Parkview and the church universal around the whole earth, till a church is built up and the earth is filled with the glory of Christ. So help us believe all that you teach, obey all that you command, trust all that you promise for the sake of your son, Jesus. Amen. Now remember the big aim, right, is, is union with Christ. It transforms how we live, right? This new life. It's the, the stable identity, the altered mindset, and the glorious future. So let's look at the stable identity. 
fact, to understand why union with Christ is such good news to us, we have to understand our culture a little bit. Here's the deal. Uh, uh, scripture is seeking to disciple you, to teach you, to shape you in a certain way. But we have to be honest about the reality that so too is culture. Uh, we, we, are, we are influenced and shaped kind of on both sides. In, in our culture, uh, identity is uh, the thing. Okay, we, we have gone uh, crazy for identity. And in fact, in New York Times article in 2015, uh, 2015, according to New York, New York Times, uh, said that uh, 2015 was the year that we obsessed about our identity. And the same would be true as of now. The times really aren't changing all that much. Uh, our identity is so much of what we're trying to figure out. Who am I? That is really, as one author says, it's the question. It's the question you must answer. If you get this question wrong, terrible things. You get this question right, glory and happiness forever. Okay? Here's the deal. What, what is an identity? Okay, an identity, according to Tim Keller and other different pastors or philosophers, they would say basically identity is a sense of self and a sense of worth or a sense of value. Sense of self, so there's a kind of a core aspect to who you are, no matter if you're at home with the kids or at work with your boss or you're hanging out with friends uh, at the bar, the restaurant, whatever it is. There's kind of a, a core to who you are sense of self, but also, and, and maybe more, even more significantly, it's a sense of worth, a sense of value. How do you know that you are a person of dignity? How do you know that you are valuable and worthy? Well, in our culture, the way that identity happens is this. Identity is self-made, okay? We might call this the process of identity construction, all right? It's up to us to determine who we are. Identity in our culture is a do-it-yourself project. Let me explain this in just a few phrases you probably have heard. In fact, it's almost like these are in the background of how we live. You heard the phrase, be true to yourself. Nowadays, the young people like to say, you do you. Uh, maybe you have heard, find yourself. You know, there's a, uh, a growing, huge uh, emphasis on self-help books. And so culture teaches us to form an identity, to be true to ourselves in two primary ways. And I'm helped by an author named Trevin, Trevin Wax. Trevin Wax wrote a book. Uh, he's a famous blogger. Wrote a book called This Is Our Time, uh, Everyday Myths in Light of the Gospel. Fantastic book. I recommend it to you. And he, uh, he helps us think through this, okay? And in our culture, the way that our identity is self-made is two ways, okay? Number one is what we do. Number two is what we feel. So what we do, what we feel. Nowadays, I think uh, our culture shifted mostly. It used to be in the past be what you do. Most of it was kind of the work. Nowadays, it really, especially the youth culture that's growing up, it has become uh, what, you, what you feel. But what do I mean by what I do? This is what I mean. What's the first question you're asked in our day and age, in our culture, after you introduce your name? What do you do, Right? Uh, so much of how we conceive of ourselves is the work that we do, the vocations that we have, the jobs that we work. In fact, what happens is we are so consumed with uh, being successful in the eyes of other people, how much we achieve. Uh, one, uh, there's a man named Elaine de Botton. He's an atheist philosopher. Uh, really brilliant, actually. He's written a lot of great stuff. And uh, one of the things um, he talks about is that in our culture, we have status anxiety. Which is, uh, you know what it's like in a party, maybe introduce yourself, here's, you know, this is what I do. And the conversation kind of shifts. If you do something really cool, the person kind of leans in. Oh, tell me about that. 
if it's something that's not that great, it's kind of like, oh, it's nice. It's nice. So what about the sports, right? Let's change the conversation because you are a little boring, you know? That might be a joke, but, but it's, it's very true. Oftentimes, the way our world conceives of ourselves, who we are, is based on the achievements we have, the accolades that we receive, the work that we do. Here's what it happens personally in my own life, okay? I'll just be honest with you, okay? The way it works in my own life is most of my time is spent either hanging out with awesome college students or preaching the Bible to awesome college students, okay? Now, what happens is, uh, and my wife, my wonderful wife Claire will attest to this, uh, if I preach a really great sermon, how do I feel? I feel awesome, yes. I feel great, I feel wonderful. I'm taking the world for the Lord, you know? And uh, what happens if I preach a terrible sermon? I'm not just disappointed, right? Because there's, there's something, right? If you, if you have a job and you, you're like, oh, it just wasn't a great day at work, there's a sense of, man, I want to do better. That's nice. That's healthy. Good for you. You want to be a hard worker, okay? I feel crushed. Why is that? Well, it's because, well, part of it, because I'm a sinful person. The other part of it is because I have a culture that constantly tells me, well, Wade, uh, how good you are is determined how well you perform on stage. And the same would be for you. I wonder what it is for your life and your job when you encounter disappointments at your work. There's a healthy uh, discouragement that can happen. There's also an unhealthy kind of depression that can set in if work has become so fundamental to who you are. Now, let me just explain how this kind of works uh, in our culture. Another example. Okay, Rhonda Rousey, maybe her name's Rousey, I don't watch UFC, but she's a UFC kickboxer, okay? Some of you are like, yes. Some of you are like, no. But here's what it is. I think this is a great example of what I'm talking about in our culture, of how identity is, uh, is discovered by what we do, okay? Now, by November 2015, uh, Rhonda had won 12 matches, mostly in the first round. She was that good. I mean, she would knock people out in the first round. Yet, uh, in a shocking surprise, Rhonda was knocked out by an underdog named Holly Holm. Now listen to what Rhonda says in an interview after she loses, okay? Now listen to the identity language here, okay? Honestly, my thought in the medical room after the fight was, what am I anymore if I am not this? I am sitting there thinking about killing myself. In that second, I'm like, I'm, I'm nothing. What do I do anymore? See, in our culture, what we do defines who we are. It's not only what we do, but it's also what we feel, right? It's the other way the culture tells us to kind of become this self-made individual. And, and this is basically the process of looking within yourself with all your desires and passions and dreams to discover who you are and then expressing those to those around you. See, and uh, uh, you know, years and years ago, the narrative that was really celebrated in our culture were the people that gave up self-interest for the sake of the community or their family, etc. Nowadays, who do we celebrate? We celebrate celebrities who are authentic to themselves as they talk about going on spiritual journeys to find themselves, uh, wearing cool new clothes, going on different tours. Like Madonna would be a great example of this. Look at the different tours she's gone on. Uh, She's constantly renovating her identity. And a lot of it is because of this concept that we have an understanding that we have to look within ourselves, discover who we are, and then express it. Uh, this is uh, exampled uh, through a woman named Gretchen Rubin. Gretchen Rubin was, uh, is a 30-something-year-old wife and mother. 
and she kind of hit a midlife crisis. And this is what she said. She said, I had everything I could want, yet I was failing to appreciate it. She wasn't tapping into real happiness in her life. Okay? This is what she did. She embarked on a happiness project, which became a book, which is a huge seller. And here's what uh, Gretchen says. Her process of discovering happiness is this. She says, one, what will bring me happiness and satisfaction? Number two, what brings sadness in my life? Then number three, what I'll do is I'll create resolutions to live by in order to maximize my happiness. Now, listen to her resolutions. Number one, number one resolution. This is seriously, be Gretchen. Okay, number one, be Gretchen. Number two, let it go. What does that sound like? Elsa, everyone's favorite princess, right? Let it go. No right, no wrong, no rules for me, right? Because what is Elsa all about? Elsa, remove herself from the community, you know, and look within herself. I'm this person. Let it go. Here I am. You know, I'm bold. I'm courageous. I'm expressing who I am. That's the second one that uh, Gretchen talks about. The third one is this. She says, act the way that I want to feel. So actions are determined by feelings nowadays in our cultures. Now, here's the problem. Here's the dilemma, okay? This is what she said as she went through this process. She said, I wanted to change myself, but accept myself at the same time. So I didn't like myself, but I tried to like myself. Uh, I wanted to take myself less seriously, have more fun. At the same time, I was constantly serious about myself. And so her hardest resolution was the first one, be Gretchen. Because this is what happened. This is what she said. I have an idea of who I wish I were, and that obscures my understanding of who I really am right now. Do you see this constant focus? I, me, myself, my feelings, be Gretchen. This is the world we swim in. Now here's the deal. Here's the, here's the issue, okay? There's no way that what you do gives you a sense of stable identity. There's no way that who you are feeling on the inside gives you a sense of stable identity. So what does? What gives you a sense of stable identity, a sense of worth? Two words with Christ. What do I mean? Well, look down at verse 1. What does it say? It says that we are, first phrase, we are raised with Christ. The resurrection of Jesus in history actually invades our life right now. If you're a believer in Christ, you are raised with Jesus. Not only that, what does it say at the very end of verse 1? It says that you were to set our minds, things above, seek the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. I've had a chair up here, which I don't. Maybe I should do this. What happens after a long day of work uh, I get home. Usually I take a shower, calm myself down a little bit. Then what do I do? I sit down. Why do I sit down? Friends, you sit down because what? The day's over. The work is done. The work is completed. So if Jesus, right now, for every believer, is seated at the right hand of God in power, and if he's seated, that means his work is completed. Now, here's how this invades into our everyday life and how we conceive of ourselves. Claire, uh, my, my, my amazing wife over there. Uh, she talks about how she disciples the women uh, in her life. One of the things that she'll repeatedly tell them is that there's no need to be anxious or fretting because guess what? Jesus is not fretting or anxious, okay? What, is, what does this verse not say? That Jesus is in heaven pacing back and forth, right? Oh, man. Oh, man. You know? No, what does it say? Jesus is seated. Why? Because he's in control. He's in control of your life. And the testimony of Scripture is that if Christ died for your sin, if he dealt with the fundamental problem of your life, which is your disconnection from God, and he's connected you back, 
He's dealt with that problem. Will he not also have power as he reigns over all things to deal with every other problem in your life? Jesus, right now, right now, is in a real body that defeated death and resurrected, and he is reigning in power. And he's chilling on his throne. He's not anxiously pacing. He's seated, and everything's under his control. And as Romans 8 says, all things are working for your good and his glory. All things are in his control. So that's what it is. That's our secure identity in Christ. So culture, what am I saying? I'll just summarize real quick. Culture is saying identity is self-made. But in the gospel, union with Christ says identity is God-given. You can either construct an identity, good luck with that, meet me in 15 years when you're utterly exhausted and tired of yourself, okay? Or you can receive identity construction or identity reception. I'm going with reception. Don't know about you, but I want Christ to give me an identity that's secure, that he has won for me, not based on my performance or how good I'm doing or my work or how bad my work is going or how much money's in the bank account or how I feel. Because by the way, my feelings are like the Baltic Sea, man. It's crazy in there. So how are you really supposed to know who you truly are by looking within yourself? You can't. But guess what? Jesus, stable, secure, identity in Christ. Union with Christ is amazing. It's amazing. Uh, that's the first thing. Second thing, okay, this, unity, this union with Christ not only gives us a new identity, but an altered mindset, okay, an altered mindset. What do I mean by that? Well, look down at verse 1. Verse 1, if then you've been raised with Christ, that's who you are, identity. Now it says, seek, here's the command, seek the things that are above where Christ is, see the right hand of God. What are the things above? That sounds like there's like these things floating in heaven. No, actually Paul says, he, he, you know, the Bible's really smart. It tells you what it's talking about. The next phrase, things above where Christ is, see the right hand of God. So the things above is, is Christ and all of his glory and all of his power and his reign. Set your mind, verse 2, on things above, not on things here on the earth. It's a mindset. It's a setting of your mind. It's a vision. It's a focus that our new identity gives to us. Pastor Rankin Wilborn is a pastor in uh, Los Angeles, and he wrote a book called Union with Christ. Amazing. Go out and read it. It's awesome, okay? Union with Christ. This is what he says about this altered mindset. You must look outside yourself to find yourself. Paul is saying in these verses that union with Christ not only gives you a new identity, it gives you a new mindset, a new grid through which to filter everything that happens around us. This, now get this. For it's not so much what happens to you that defines you as to how much you interpret what happens to you. Not what happens to you, but how you interpret the grid by which you filter all your experiences and relationships and conflicts and struggles in your life. It's not so much what happens to you, but how you view them, how you filter them. That's a new mindset. Our identity gives us a new mindset. Here's the deal. The brilliance of verse 2 says what you focus your mind on, what your mindset is, is how you live. So a new identity going to the new mindset, filtering down to how you live. What do I mean? Verse 2 says this, set your mind on things above, not on things that are here on earth. Now, this is crazy. What is Paul saying? Is Paul saying, I should stop caring about my family? Is Paul saying you should be lazy at your job? Quit your job, in fact, because your job is a thing of the earth, friends. Quit your job. No, he's not saying that. 
Because the Bible is very clear that all things done for the glory of Jesus, it matters to him. Your everyday work, no matter if you're a pastor like me or a uh, you know, stay-at-home parent or if you're working for the school system or whatever it is, every inch of your life is under the lordship of Jesus and matters. So that's not what this verse is saying. So what is it saying? Well, look down at verse 5. Verse 5 will be on the screen. Hopefully you brought your Bibles. I'll read it to you. It says, put off or put to death, therefore... Uh, what is earthly in you? And then, so what is earthly? Well, he explains. Then he gives a list of vices, a list of sins, sexual immorality, lust, passion, evil desire, etc., etc., all the way to covetousness, right? So what happens, here's what Paul is saying. Here's what the scripture is teaching us, okay? Uh, when you are an iPhone disconnected from its power source, you don't function the way that you are designed. And that's the same with sin. To focus your mind on things of earth means that you make it your perpetual pattern to engage in behaviors and attitudes and thoughts and desires that are contrary to who you are in Christ. Contrary to the way that you have been designed to flourish as a human being. What do I mean by that? Well, can we just uh, look at two of these vices. Number one, covetousness, which is greed. The way we focus on our money, the way that we fill our minds with how much stuff we have. See, one of the biggest myths of this culture is that you will be happy with the more stuff that you get and the more money that's in your bank account. It's a myth, it's a lie, but we're total suckers for it. We completely believe this myth inside and outside the church. What do I mean? I'll just be, per- I'll just be honest with you personally, okay? Uh, coming here to park, this is my first kind of like full-time ministry position. Get a regular paycheck, you know? Before this, I've been in school and stuff like that, different part-time jobs. I have been amazed at how often I think about money. When in the past, it wasn't as much of a thing because that covetousness was there all it needed was a little bit of an opportunity. Also, I was like, ha-ha, here I am. That's how the human heart works. We are, in a culture, says that you are what you own. You are how much money you make. And so we are addicted to a way of thinking and therefore a way of living because our focus is on things of earth, covetousness. Covetousness meaning I want something that God himself has not given me. It's really just discontentment. We live in a discontented age. You need a new car. You need a new spouse if you want real happiness. You need a new this, a new iPhone. You know, this was cool for like three months until the new one came out. And then I'm like, ah, I need the iPhone XZ or whatever it is now. I don't know. Um, Anyways, you get that? So it's greed. It's covetousness. But not only our money, it's our sexuality. And this one probably hits a little bit more home with us, doesn't it? Sexual morality in scripture is any sexual activity or desire contrary to God's design for marriage between one man and one woman. Anything outside that good and holy design, any action outside, any uh, thought or desire outside of that covenant marriage between one man and one woman is sexual immorality. What scripture would say is actually you're living contrary to the way that you have been designed. This is a sin, friends, because this is not who you are. This is not how you were created to be. What do I mean? I mean this. 
I mean that you, as a Christian, friends, the, the logic here is, is brilliant, right? Set your mind on things above. Set your mind on Christ, not on things of earth. So, so set your mind on Christ and his beauty and his glory, not on pornography, not on the fantasy world that we indulge ourselves in at the workplace, not in anything else that would be contrary to God's design. See, the problem with our culture is that I can't even go down an aisle and get three bananas at high V without having an onslaught of sexual temptation. But it's not just a cultural problem, it's a heart problem. See, our hearts are bent towards sin apart from Christ. But here's the, the, the beauty of what Paul's saying here. You have a new identity. If you are in Christ, you can actually live free from your sexual addictions and habits. And not even just sexuality, but later on in this passage, he talks about put away anger, wrath, malice. So he's talking about, you know, use of money, sexuality, but also your attitudes and emotions. Man, put all of that away. Why? Because if you do, God will love you more. Because if you do, then you'll really have a greater experience in your life. No, you put those things away because that's not who you are in Christ. Jesus Christ died on a cross and rose again in history and is right now reigning in power so that you can walk away in freedom from the sinful habits that are constantly breaking down your life. Do you know that right now you can be set free? You are set free in Christ and you can turn. You have believer in Christ in union with Christ, all the power and resources you need to turn from sin and repentance and to fix your mind on Christ above and all of his beauty and glory, a beauty that pornography will never touch because I know personally in my own life the way Jesus has transformed me in this area. Friends, there is a deeper satisfaction and joy in Christ that sin will never and can never give to you. And so the flow of this passage is this. You have a new identity. You've been raised with Christ. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. And you also have died, right? Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Therefore, set your mind on things above, not on a pursuit of money and sexuality as the core of who you are. But guess what? You're going to have a culture that says that is who you are. You are what you make and you are what you feel sexually. And it is a lie. And the more that you participate down those paths, the greater destruction that will happen in your life because you are living contrary to God's good design for you in Jesus. Believer in Christ, hear this now. Walk away from sin because you are with Christ. Now, those of you who are in here who are not Christians, why not? Because here's the deal. What I just said is only available to people who are with Christ. Some of you are, are, are spiraling down a vortex of addiction right now. And apart from Christ, you have no power or resources. There's nothing in this wall for you. If you go over here, nothing's there. Unless you are united to Christ. That's why you need Jesus. 
So Christianity, don't hear us talking here at Parkview that we're, we're talking to you about is behavior modification. You've made some mistakes, try harder next time, be a better person. That is a lie from hell. What we're trying to tell you and urge you to is turn from your sin, trust in Christ alone, and he gives you power and the resources to live a new life. We're talking about a new life with a new person, with new desires and new loves and values. That's what we're calling you into. That's what scripture calls you to embrace as someone who's apart from Christ. Friends, are you, are you with Christ? He has all the resources you need in this new identity. You have an altered mindset, a new way of viewing things that then influences the way that you live in everyday life. That is what you have in Christ, friends. It's amazing. So not only do we have this new identity, not only do we have an altered mindset, right, that changes the way we live, but we have a third thing, friends. We have a glorious future. With Christ, we have a glorious future. Let me ask you a question. Are our lives a tragedy or a comedy? I don't really mean that by, you know, our life fundamentally a joke that everyone laughs at. I kind of mean more like the Shakespearean kind of Dante way, right? Which is a... Tragedy is life as a frowny face. And comedy is life as a smiley face, as one of my favorite authors, Glenn Scrivener, likes to say. So is your life a frowny face or a smiley face? Is it a tragedy or is it a comedy? But here's the reality. I think what you would say, well, wait, it it feels like a tragedy. Because I can't stop in this, uh, this weight of depression right now. This anxiety is taking over my life. We live in a world of tragedy, don't we? Terrorist attacks, the insanity that someone can pick up a gun, walk into a school, and shoot high schoolers. It's insane. We live in a world filled with tragedy. Don't hear me say, I'm, it's, it's evident. We have leaders in churches failing morally. The, the prevalence of racism in our culture, the way that we uh, fail to steward as white people uh, in love and grace and mercy and our love for Christ, a way to love and serve our dear African-American brothers and sisters. Racism prevalent in this culture, is it not? I lived in St. Louis for a while. Man, it's crazy there. Increased suicide rates, anxiety. Where is this world heading? It feels like tragedy. And on top of that, health problems. Our bodies are breaking down. You and I, newsflash for you, will die. We will die. Have you thought about that? Someday, there's going to be a coffin here at Parkview, maybe a different church, and your body will be in there and you won't be breathing anymore. Tragedy. Our lives are fraught with frailty and trouble, are they not? All of us could stand up here and probably for three hours each talk about the troubles in our lives, the marital breakdown, the sufferings that we experience. Life feels like a tragedy. In the midst of that, friends, believer, Believer in Christ, take heart, because we have a glorious future. Look down at verse 4. What is our glorious future? Oh, it's when Christ appears. When Christ appears and he returns, you will also appear with him in glory. In glory. Not meaning disembodied and floating off into heaven with these souls that are like twiddling with harps. I don't know how souls do that, but that's kind of how culture thinks about it. But no, life with a new, renewed body free from all the cancer and suffering and our minds thinking the way they should. Free from any relational dysfunction. Free from the sin that so easily entangles us in this life. Free because of the glorious future we have 
in Christ. Revelation 21 says this, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. This is our glorious future for those of us in Christ. You ready for this? Here we go. I saw a holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. When Christ appears, he's coming to bring this new heavens, new earth. And then we hear a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Behold, I'm making all things new. Friends, your lives are not fundamentally a tragedy. They're not. If you are in Christ, your life is heading towards a glorious future. You are indestructible in Jesus. Your life will matter forever. You will be loved forever. You will be with Christ forever. And Christ, who is our life, verse, uh, verse 4 says, He is your life. Is He your life? That's what we have with Christ. Not only a new identity that transforms how we view ourselves, how we relate to others. Not only an altered mindset that changes our everyday living, turning away from sin and trusting in Jesus. But friends, you have a glorious future you have Christ. Verse 4, Christ is our life. This is what Christianity is all about. It is Jesus. Jesus is everything to us. He is our identity. He is our new mindset. He is our glorious future. Claire, one time in my life when I was going through a really uh, challenging time, I need some encouragement. And Claire, my wonderful wife, she wrote me these words. Wade, you need him. And you have him. And with Christ, you have everything that you need. Friends, do you know that? And everything that you need, it's in Christ. With Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for all the wondrous things that we have in Christ. A stable identity, an altered mindset leading to a new life. And a glorious future. Lord, we love you and we praise you because this future that we're awaiting, it feels so far away in the midst of our present tragedies and sorrow. But no, no, Lord, lift our eyes, setting our minds on Christ who is above, who is seated at the right hand of the Father in power, who has been resurrected, who has defeated death and hell and Satan. Oh, Lord, we look to him and we await for this glorious future. Lord, we love you. To you alone, Jesus, belong glory, power, and dominion.